0: Where do you go in your hour of need? Pastor Ed Ray has a recommendation.
1: Go to God. What are you struggling with? What do you see in front of you today, tomorrow, next month, next year? God says, come, come into my throne room. Let's talk. Find help. You need help? Go to the source. James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He's waiting for us patiently, but he is waiting for us. On, I home filled with hands and in this place gotta dwell with man
0: sick be healed and the cripple stand, standing hallelujah My kingdom built with the blood of my son selfless sacrifice for everyone
1: faith hope love and harmony I said,
0: let this world know me by your love proclaiming the way the truth and the life this is growing grace You've picked a good day to join us as we take a look at the most significant event in human history, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Our beginning point is Luke chapter 23, verse 44. Now, if you knew you only had hours to live, no doubt you'd want to speak with those you love and say something meaningful. Well, today we're about to hear the Lord's final words on the cross, and they are indeed powerful and meaningful. Here's Pastor Ed Ray to read the passage before us.
1: We're in Luke 23. Going to take a little bit longer section because we normally stop in the middle of this. I want to go through. So we're in Luke 23, 44. Jesus is on the cross. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two and when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God saying, certainly this was a righteous or innocent man. And the whole crowd who came together to that site, seeing what had been done, beat their breasts and returned. But all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee Stood at a distance watching these things. Now, behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. He had not consented to their decision and deed. He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb. That was hewn out of rock where no one had ever laid before. That day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew near. And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after and observed the tomb and how his body was laid. And then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils. And they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices that they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the 11 and all the rest it was mary magdalene joanna mary the mother of james and the other woman with them who told these things to the apostles and their words seemed to them like idle tales babble and they did not believe them but peter arose and ran to the tomb and stooping down he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves And he departed marveling to himself at what had happened well normally we stop about halfway through this story on good friday and then we wait a couple of days and then we come to the resurrection story and so it's good as we're just going through the bible to take it and run it together we have to cover a little bit more but this section is well known to most of us because of that the final words of a dying person tell us a great deal about that person Words from a dying person can be fearful, resentful, can be senile, but rarely are they confident. The words from Jesus' lips are the lips of a confident person. He knows what's about to happen. Herbert Lochner wrote the last words of both saints and sinners about to enter eternity What they had to say before their stammering tongues lay silent in the grave demands our deepest attention and most earnest concern. If, when the soul is face-to-face with eternal realities, true character is almost invariably manifest, then we can expect the lips to express glorious certainty or terror concerning the future. And of course, we see that people who have held the philosophy of not believing in God and atheism like Voltaire and Barth and others they, they died in terror but those who looked forward to eternity, martyrs died with words of confidence because they weren't depending on themselves and they knew where they were going. I have a friend who's into philosophy and and he was telling me about Nietzsche, you know, this Austrian-German philosopher who gave the world the infamous line, God is dead. Well, when Nietzsche died a while back now, his hometown, the village he grew up in, someone had graffiti on the wall, God is dead, signed Nietzsche. The next morning when people came out and walked by it, someone else had written underneath it, Nietzsche is dead, Signed, God. It kind (laughs) of brings everything into perspective, into focus, doesn't it? Well, we are looking here at the last words of the most important man that had ever lived, the rehearsal of the history of the most important event that had ever taken place. And last time we looked, we saw that Jesus had been crucified between two thieves. Both of them mocked him at first, but then the second one began to realize that he was in fact the Messiah. And we're not told exactly how he began to grasp it. Finally, he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom, I can see that you're coming into the kingdom. Probably speaking of hundreds, if not thousands of years in advance, whenever that's going to be Lord. And Jesus said, today, you're with me in paradise. And so we break into the story in the latter part of the crucifixion here. We know from the other Gospels, John, he cries out, it is finished right before the last words he said here. to tell that it's done. It's all paid for. It's the word that was written on bills when someone finished paying for a bill or when they had finished a, a prison term. We found uh, all sorts of clay tablets with that written across it. Paid in full, it, it's done. It is finished, meaning the price had been paid. For my sin and for yours. So we come to this section that has three important parts to it his last words, his dying, 44 to 49, his burial, 50 to 56, and then finally, this empty tomb that we're familiar with, but is still filled with interesting information, 1 through 12. Let's jump in. We'll move kind of quickly through it, but. Act like you've never heard it before. Listen with fresh ears and God will speak to you. And it was about the sixth hour. Now Mark tells us it started at the third hour. that It started at 9 o'clock in the morning. and Now at noon, something begins to happen. Darkness over the earth until the ninth hour. So from noon to 3 o'clock in the afternoon, which was, by the way, the time of the evening sacrifice in the temple... It began to get dark. Now, a lot of scientific explanations have been offered. The most obvious one, an eclipse of the sun is impossible. It's Passover. It's a lunar calendar. It's a full moon. It doesn't happen during a full moon. Maybe it was a volcano. Maybe it was a meteor. Maybe it was supernatural. Certainly, the timing was supernatural. Because suddenly, for three hours, as the weight of the sins of the world came upon Jesus, darkness swept over the land Well, it has an even greater impact right at three o'clock verse 45 and then the sun itself was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two. Matthew adds that there was an earthquake, a tremendous one, and the, the temple is rocking and shaking and outside outside the temple gates, the city is shaking and up on the top of this hill it's shaking and rocks are coming down and then suddenly this gigantic veil this curtain between the two inner parts of the temple is ripped from top to bottom or to Josephus the Roman historian tells us that these gates in front of the temple were 90 feet tall nine stories tall it's a pretty serious building and 24 feet wide and so was the curtain and according to him it was a hand breadth and thickness now some Authors say two hand breaths, so it was at least six or eight inches thick, maybe 12 or 16, 18 inches thick. But it was a gigantic curtain, and it was a symbol of the gates that were closed on the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve couldn't go back, and there was a cherubim there with a flaming sword, you remember? Well, so the curtain that separated God, the box actually, the Ark of the Covenant, And the outer court, and only the high priest could go in. Once a year, one day, Yom is day, Kippur is covering, or atonement, the day of atonement, the day of covering. And he would go in fearfully with bare feet, and one historian said, with a rope tied on one ankle, that's got to scare you a little, because the priest didn't want to go and get him if he was slain. And so he would go in with goat's blood, where we get the word scapegoat. And he would take the blood of the goat that was dying in the place of the people of Israel, and he put it on the four corners of this Ark of the Covenant, because over it was the presence of God. The angels had their wings touching, but something was between the law underneath, inside the box, the Ten Commandments, and God. Blood. Blood was the covering, the insulation, if you will. So... The picture here was that he did that every year to be a go-between, the priest for the people, but suddenly God rips it from top to bottom. That had to have been a loud noise. Priests are scurrying. (laughs) No doubt that's why in the book of Acts it says that many priests were saved. (laughs) And they scurry out of the temple and suddenly everyone is embarrassed because there's the Ark of the Covenant. The Holy of Holies is exposed. Symbolism, screaming out, no more priests needed, no more special past, no more special birth, no more special clothing to come into God's presence. The writer of Hebrews says, boldly come into the throne of grace and find help in time of need. What are you struggling with? What do you see in front of you today, tomorrow, next month, next year? God says, come, come into my throne room. Let's talk, find help. You need help? Go to the source. James says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. He's waiting for us patiently, but he is waiting for us.
0: You're listening to a study in Luke from Pastor Ed Ray on Grow in Grace. We're online at thepackinghouse.org. Let's listen into the second half of Pastor Ed's message now.
1: Suddenly, access, complete access... No longer special birth, son of Aaron, some kind of special priesthood, no clergy now, just you and God, and no special clothes except the righteousness of Christ. Special birth, kind of, a rebirth, right? A spiritual rebirth. Well, it's open. And then Jesus cried out with a loud voice, to Telestai, it is finished. And then said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Saints down through the ages, martyrs, have closed out their life with these dying words. I trust you, Father. What a great word. Jesus taught us to pray that way, right? Our Father who art in heaven. Talk to him like a father. Maybe you don't have a good view of a father. This is a good father, go to him. Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. Confident, I know where I'm going. I know I've entrusted my life. I know God's going to get me there. Now, when the centurion observed this, Jesus breathing his life, we got an earthquake, we got a ripping of the temple from top to bottom. It's been dark for three hours and then it goes black. And then he sees Jesus praying, Father, forgive them. And him just giving up his life as he chose to, the centurion was impressed the centurion saw what had happened he glorified god he praised god saying certainly this was a righteous or an innocent man centurions especially in the gospel of luke in the Book of Acts that Luke wrote are always held in high esteem. Now, you remember Luke is the only non-Hebrew writer, we believe, of the Bible, Old and New Testament. So he's a Greek, and he has a great amount of respect for these Roman line officers. centurions, century, 100, a 100 men, they're over, right? But they were chosen for their bravery, but for their nobility, for their integrity, for their truth. These were men who lived what they said, their handshake was in fact their bond. Now, there weren't many centurions. In fact, some say that there were less than a dozen in Israel, two dozen at the most. So was this a known centurion? Some say, early church historians, that this was the centurion at Capernaum who built the synagogue there. You remember? Jesus had an encounter. He came to Jesus and he said, Lord, my servant is sick. And Jesus said, well, I'll go. He said, oh, no, 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 I'm not worthy that you'd come into my house. Just say the word and he'll be healed. And Jesus marveled that this military guy, this hardened Roman officer would have that kind of faith. He said, I haven't seen such faith in all of Israel. What's up with you? Well, we don't know if it's the same centurion because scripture doesn't say, but he certainly knew the centurion that this happened to It is not long after this, that this man is standing watching Jesus dying across. He says, that is a righteous man. Matthew adds, that is the son of God. I know it. The crucifixion theme over and over again is this, that Jesus was innocent. That's what he says. He's innocent. He's righteous. He didn't do anything. Pilate said it. Herod said it. Thief on the cross said it. Now the centurion watching said it. He's innocent. It's necessary. It's absolutely necessary because it had to be an innocent, perfect sacrifice of God to offset my sins and yours. And when the whole crowd came together to that site, when they saw this, what had been done, they beat their breasts and returned Like the publican like the tax collector did you remember in the back of the temple jesus walks in he sees the guy in the back doing this he says have mercy on me a sinner and the pharisees up in front saying i'm so glad i'm not like that sinner back there you know i tie they do all these wonderful works for god and jesus said that man was justified why are they beating their breasts because these are honest and spiritually sensitive people who recognize that israel and the city of jerusalem is in trouble that they would crucified an innocent man and they expected God to bring retribution. And they were right. Verse 49, but all his acquaintances, the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Jesus came with a great following up from Jericho, but one group had come all the way down from the lake, from the Sea of Galilee with him. And they're watching this. Well, there was another man there Verse 50, a man named Joseph, a council member, not a city council. This is a member of the council of Sanhedrin, the 70, 70 plus one, the chief priest. This is the Supreme Court. These are the Supreme Court justices of the nation of Israel, the most prominent men in the entire nation. Seventy of them come together and make decisions headed by the chief priests concerning the law. They were experts in the law. They were all wealthy men. This man was different. He was a council member, but he was a good and just man. He was, in fact, a righteous man. We know little else about him besides the next verse. He had not consented to their counsel and deed. He didn't vote with them to have Jesus executed. He was from Arimathea, a little town about 20, 25 miles north of Jerusalem today. You can visit it. We've gone there before. Is where Samuel was, in fact, born, the Old Testament prophet, who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. He was expecting the Messiah to come. Now, I believe that Joseph is one of the unsung heroes of the New Testament. I think in fact, he's the only one on this day that expected Jesus to rise from the dead. He's the only one that knew Isaiah 53. Listen, his grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man at his death. A rich man? Yeah. Joseph of Arimathea knew that this prophecy was about the Messiah. He knew that Jesus was the Messiah, and he put it together. I don't know how he did, we're not told. But somehow, maybe he's praying, maybe he's just watching, and the Holy Spirit spoke to him these words. But with a rich man, there he is with thieves, he's with criminals, but with a rich man at his death. And Joseph says, is it me, Lord? Are you talking to me? Am I the rich man? You've given me much. I have this tomb that's just a matter of feet away that no one's ever used. Is that what you're thinking, Lord? And the man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Now, this is no small thing. It says he begged as a personal favor, literally, in the Greek. He knew Pilate, and he was sticking his neck out. Maybe some of you had to when you came to the Lord. You know, your family rejected you or, or someone else, or your job. I have a friend who's a biology professor that was fired from a major university on the East Course because he would no longer teach that the slap of lightning in pre soup created life. He became a believer and he believes the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Yes, that's where we are in our nation. Now we fire people for their religious beliefs. Maybe yours is something similar. But Joseph understood he was going to lose his standing in Israel. The Sanhedrin had said, anyone follows Jesus, that they're going to lose their inheritance, they lose their property, they lose their standing in the synagogue. John 19:38 said, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. Fear of the Jews? Was he afraid of the Jews? I don't think so. I think he was afraid for his family. He knew it would destroy his family that they wouldn't understand and it would cost them a great deal financially and personally. I have a friend in Israel, very good friend for years now who came to the Lord. He has family members that are very highly placed in the Israeli government and he cannot tell them that he's a believer. I don't judge him for that. He became a believer and he has to do it quietly. He says even his wife wouldn't understand. I think God will eventually lead him to tell her like he's doing here, Joseph. Joseph takes a, a big step, sticks his neck out, goes to Pilate. Pilate's going, why didn't you say something earlier? He doesn't say that, but he's gotta be thinking it. How come you didn't stand with me when I tried to say he was an innocent man? But whatever the reason, Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent, and he releases the body and that's unusual because criminals usually stayed on the cross nine days on one account from Herodias. They'd leave him there. Yeah, I know, jackals vultures, I'll just stop there. You get the idea.
0: We'll stop right here and hear the rest of the story next time. We've been looking at the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus today on Grow in Grace. And Pastor Ed Ray is on the final leg of our journey through Luke. You'll find us online at thepackinghouse.org. And that's a great place to go and hear this program again. That's thepackinghouse.org Or call and ask for a CD copy at 844-77-GRACE You know, it takes a team to bring you Grow in Grace and we look to our listeners to help make all this possible If you'd like to make a contribution you can call 844-77-GRACE And as you do, be sure to request our special offer available for a gift of any amount it's a book written by Gene Edwards called The Tale of Three Kings. It's based on the biblical figures of David, Saul, and Absalom. And if you've ever experienced pain, loss, or heartache at the hands of other believers, this will be very encouraging to you. There's comfort, healing, and hope to be found in A Tale of Three Kings. And again, we'll send it your way for a gift of any amount. You can reach us at 844 844- 77 grace That's 844-77-GRACE And even if you're not in a position to be able to give we still want to hear from you Your email would be a great encouragement to Pastor Ed This lets us know where Grow in Grace is having an impact by God's grace Our email address is Radio at aol.com That's Radio at aol.com and then join us for the next Grow in Grace when Pastor Ed Ray will pick up where we left off in the Gospel of Luke. This program is brought to you by Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands, California. Zion, build with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick field and the stand blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said let this world know me by your love.